Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. Hi, this is Jeff Cobb, co-host of the Leading Learning Podcast. During the month of December, while we're busy planning for a new year, we thought it'd be a great idea to reach back into the podcast archives and replay some of our favorite episodes. So this week's episode is a replay of episode 34, in which Salisa interviews John Horrigan of Pew Research Center. Now, Pew has done some really interesting research on lifelong learning and technology during the past year, and we feel it's information that pretty much anybody in the business of lifelong learning needs to know about. Before we hit play, we'd also like to thank your membership for being the sponsor of this episode of the podcast. You can find out more about your membership and its learning offerings at yourmembership.com. Now, enjoy the episode and stay tuned for a fresh episode of Leading Learning soon. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 34 of the Leading Learning Podcast. And this time around, we're thrilled to be talking with John Harrigan of the Pew Research Center. Pew recently did some great research on lifelong learning and technology. And like so many of their reports that they put out, it uh, just has a wealth of great information in it. So we're going to be digging into that some in an interview that uh, Salisa did with John Horgan in this episode. But first, if I'm going to say the words lifelong learning and technology together, I have to at least mention the fact that our spring event, Learning Technology Design, is upon us uh, very shortly. And you can find out more about that at ltd.leadinglearning.com learning.com and this is really all about being in the business of lifelong learning and using technology and learning design effectively to reach your learners and have more impact with them so if you're if that it all describes what you do in your day-to-day work or what your organization is aiming for definitely go to ltd.leadinglearning.com and check that out now salisa Lifelong learning, technology, I know John had some interesting things to say about that because that report really had some interesting things to say about it. Yeah, it's a great report, Um, and John is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center, and he's the the lead researcher behind um, this recent report called Lifelong Learning and Technology. It came out in March 2016, and so we really focused our conversation around um, the the findings and and issues and ideas related to to that report. the report grew out of um, Pew's work and, and research in libraries. It does a lot with, with libraries. And a few of the, the points um, in the, the survey that's behind the report probe on the role libraries play in lifelong learning. But really, the report is based very broadly on a survey of, a, of adult Americans and really focuses on um, 
lifelong learning and uh, and and how they go about uh, their lifelong learning if they are lifelong learners. Um, and one thing I will say up front is you mentioned Pew has a lot of great research, not just this report. They're all freely available, you know, so no cost, no sign up, no anything. So it's a great site to spend a little bit of, of, of time on, uh, even if perhaps this particular report isn't of interest to you, but I think it's going to be given that um, it is all about lifelong learning. And I think that uh, one of the things, because John does a lot of work with libraries, he he talks a bit in, in our conversation about the role that he thinks libraries could play in terms of, uh, of really trying to help um, get even more people involved in lifelong learning, and then particularly, too, in kind of leveling out access to um, online learning in particular. But I think it's interesting um, for folks who are uh, learning... Uh, leading learning um, podcast listeners to think about it with kind of that lens of, okay, you know, for my organization, what role is it that we could also be playing in terms of uh, trying to, to more broadly promote lifelong learning and to really help kind of um, even groom uh, either incoming um, uh, professionals or, or workers in a field, or even trying to help kind of shore up um, the skills and knowledge and approaches to lifelong learning that some of kind of more the mid-career folks might have. Yeah, I think one of the things that the report made clear to me is that uh, there's still a lot of room out there for building awareness about the opportunity that online learning, distance learning represents. Um, more than half of the people they surveyed uh, said that they really weren't all that familiar even with the term distance learning and kind of what that meant, which uh, personally I found, you know, kind of revelatory given what we work on day in and day out. But, you know, as you indicate, this is freely available. We'll put a link to the actual report in the show notes. It's got a wealth of just great insights and, and data into it. You're going to want to go and check this out. And in the meantime, Let's tune in to what John has to say, because I know that folks are going to want to hear that. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Harrigan. John is a senior researcher at the Pew Research Center, which is a nonpartisan fact tank, and he focuses on libraries, technology, and communities, as well as open data and open government. So, John, thank you for making time for this conversation. And so to start things off, would you just share a bit more about Pew Research Center and, and your role and work there? Sure. The Pew Research Center has existed for, gosh, probably 10 or 15 years, and we're a nonpartisan, non-advocacy organization that does research on a range of different topics. I work in the science, technology, and internet project, but we have work on politics. We have work on social and demographic trends, the role of religion in American life, as well as uh, journalism. So the Pew Research Center does have a range of topics that it covers. And I've been working uh, for a while now on how people use the internet in a variety of different realms, but um, with a special focus on um, how libraries figure into people's patterns of information consumption and technology use. Well, it's fascinating. I know you guys have a lot of great research, but I got in contact with you because of a specific report that I know you worked on um, called Lifelong Learning and Technology, and that was published in March 2016, um, and, and we'll make sure to include a link to that report in the show notes for this episode. 
But I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about the impetus behind that report, kind of its scope, and then the the goal of the report. You know, what does gathering and, and sharing this data hopefully you know do for us or, or do for the, the the country at large? This work on libraries and learning and technology is as I said, uh, generated by the Pew Research Center, but we're doing it under a grant from the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Uh which has um, a well-known libraries program that touches a range of of different parts of the library world. But the inspiration for this work is to try to do good fact-based research on where libraries fit into people's lives and fit into their communities as a way to shed light on how libraries impact people's learning patterns, uh, how they might learn about new technology, and then also how libraries, uh, uh, we want this information to feed into how libraries have to think about positioning themselves in an age where digital resources have really transformed so many different organizations from news to commerce, but also to libraries. So a real impetus for the work is to uh, understand where libraries will fit into our digital age. Oh, great. Okay, that's that's wonderful. And that's kind of a, a an angle I didn't quite get from, from reading the, the report just in and of itself because I'm not coming from the, the library perspective so much. I mean, the listeners of this podcast are by and large folks working in the business of lifelong learning and and the majority of them are affiliated with a a trade or professional association and so they're working in professional development and continuing education Um, and and so that was kind of the lens I was looking at it with coming from that perspective and um, and I know that I think most of our listeners and I know I certainly would would identify with this label I think we would claim ourselves as lifelong learners and I noted in the in in this report that that actually aligns us with the majority of American adults, right? That's right. Three quarters of Americans said that they consider themselves lifelong learners. And we found a similar number actually engage in some sort of uh, lifelong learning activity in a given year. So it, it is a pervasive part of how Americans view themselves and it translates into their behavior as well. And, and I actually would love for you to talk a little bit about this distinction that you make because you know the report is generally focused on on lifelong learning but you you do kind of break questions down into talking about um, what you describe as the personal learner and then the professional learner so would you talk about that distinction a little bit the lifelong learning label is the umbrella term but underneath that umbrella we broke down learning into two big categories personal learning and professional learning. So we asked people a series of questions about what kinds of learning activities they have pursued in the prior year, such as reading how-to magazines or consumer magazines, attending a meeting to learn new information, such as a book club, attending a convention or a conference, taking a course, and also specifically taking a course online. So for those different activities, those five different activities, we labeled you a personal learner if you had done at least one of them. And 74% of all adults fit into that category of being a personal learner. Now for professional learners, we asked a different set of questions. And we aimed 
the questions for professional learning at employed adults. Um, and in our survey, and we conducted a national random digital telephone survey of uh, people age 18 and older, and not everybody who is an adult is in the workforce, we found that close to 60% of adults that we interviewed were employed. So if you were employed, we asked if you had in the prior year um, engaged in some activities to uh, learn, maintain, or improve your job skills, uh, seek or maintain a license or certification for your job, um, some learning activities that might be about trying to get you a raise or promotion at work, um, efforts at learning that would get you a new job, or even if you just pursued some professional learning because you were worried about downsizing at your, at your place of work. And among employed Americans, we found that 63% fell under that umbrella of being a professional learner, meaning they had done one of those uh, five professional learning activities that we asked about. And that comes to 36% of all adults who in the prior year did some kind of learning uh, related to their job or their professional career. So so personal lifelong learning, was you see that happening more often than the professional lifelong learning, but, um, but, but both, it sounds like, are really making uh, their mark on society, that both are, are happening quite a bit. De- definitely. It's somewhat lower among employed adults for uh, professional learning, but it's still, you know, majorities in both categories, solid majorities in both categories are doing some sort of learning um, for uh, different reasons, professional or personal. Right. You know, and one of the, the findings that surprised me when I was looking at the report was was just how unaware most Americans are of some things like massive open online courses and, and, and digital badges. Um, the research that you did found that majorities of Americans are either, you know, not to or not at all aware of MOOCs, digital badges, the Khan Academy, and even distance learning. Did, did that finding surprise you? It did surprise me as, as to how unfamiliar people were with these terms. Folks who may be listening to this, uh, or, or certainly a lot of the people I work with and travel with in my professional orbit, uh, think about Khan Academy and, and MOOCs and think they're very commonplace. Um, and in fact, in terms of the awareness of the general public of these things, uh, people just aren't very aware of them. We found that only 9% of adults said that they were very familiar with the Khan Academy and 5% said they were very, very familiar with MOOCs. So these cutting edge uh, concepts in educational technology just aren't widely known by adults. And that often happens in the technology world, the the latest thing becomes uh, very much uh, the rule for early adopters and it creates a lot of buzz among early adopters or the tech elite. But for the general public, it takes a little while for the message to disseminate. Yeah, so I think that's probably exactly it, that just, right, the orbit is the word you use there that, that I, I'm in. You know, these are very familiar terms, so that, I just found that surprising. But are there other findings from the research that surprised you or that you find particularly interesting? We were a little surprised kind of along the lines of talking about MOOCs and Khan Academy that 
place-based learning still was dominant for people when they were pursuing their either professional or personal learning. So we asked people where they engaged in the learning that they did in the prior year. And just focusing on, on personal learning, we found that 81% said that learning took place at a, a physical place, either their home, a community center, or a library. And then we found that 52% said that some of the learning took place online. And we probed a little bit further on this concept and asked people whether they, just how much learning took place on the internet. And for both professional learning and personal learning, just about a third of respondents said that some or most of their learning took place online. And so it surprised us a little bit that in a world where we hear a lot about ed tech and the latest applications in education being digitally based, that place still mattered uh, to, to a very strong degree for learning for adults. No, that, that data there also jumped out at me. And, and I'm curious if you know if you have an opinion on whether this kind of apparent preference for place-based learning will continue or, or whether you think we'll see a, you know, a shift to more online learning and away from place-based uh, in the years ahead? I think we're just going to have to watch this. Um, as I said, we were a little surprised by this finding, but at the same time, when you read in the business press, for instance, about where we get information innovation from in our society. In fact, lots of efforts are made in the business world to, and in the educational world for that matter, to get people together physically to collaborate and create. Uh, and that's been a solid um, pattern for years now. I mean, one of the reasons we asked about the notion of distance learning, whether people were familiar with distance learning, uh, is because that concept's been around a long time in the educational (laughs) field. Um, And it's important. It's an important supplement to people's uh, learning tools, but it's maintained its role as a supplement to how people learn. And place-based, face-to-face learning still um, is awfully important to people. So I think... um, over time, we want to do, watch that pattern of place-based versus online learning. But I do think that place will always have a strong role in how people learn because face-to-face interaction is uh, just very rich for people. Um, what I think we could see is um, a growing role of um, digital tools for learning whether that, those numbers will change a lot, you know, from 32% to 40% in the future or 50% to 70% in the future, I don't know. It is, I think, quite likely that those numbers might not budge a whole lot, yet the kinds of tools represented by that 30% of people saying they do the, most of their learning online will just be very different as innovation unfolds. So I, I think we'll see... Um, this pattern of place mattering uh, continuing with the quality of uh, digital tools as supplementary um, tool as supplementary parts of learning uh, transforming over time. Well, great. So we'll we'll wait and see what happens there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and one of the other interesting points from the report um, for me was um, just this look at the, the fact that the internet doesn't seem to be having kind of the 
the democratizing effect on learning that it's often been touted for. So would you talk a little bit about what you were kind of seeing there um, in terms of kind of who is actually using, um, you know, the Internet for learning? We did find very strong differences across socioeconomic factors in learning, which is to say that if you have lower income or lower levels of educational attainment, you're much less likely to engage in personal learning and professional learning than if you're um, educated and well-off financially. Uh, So uh, a pattern for years in educational technology, and this dates back to um, the telephone taking hold in the early 20th century to television in the mid-20th century, uh, a, a real theme has always been Uh, These new technologies will democratize learning. And uh, that maybe has not always been the case with those older technologies. And we're finding some of that to be true uh, when we look at the patterns of use for contemporary uh, professional or personal learning. Uh, You know, 40% of Americans have high school degrees or less versus 27% of adults having college degrees or more. And if you're in that first category, that 40% of folks who have high school degrees or less, you're just not um, on the uh, lifelong learning trained and nearly to the extent as people who are um, better off and better educated. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about and that, and I think this probably gets back to your, um, the, the, the focus of the, of the libraries and their role too because it seems like obviously those kind of community-based centers that you ask about some libraries other places like that then where maybe that can help to 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 bring in some groups that have yet to fully participate in lifelong learning or participate as fully as other groups maybe that's a, a path in for them and there's definitely a, an opportunity there for libraries. Uh, We did ask in the survey whether uh, people think that libraries do a good job in meeting the learning needs of themselves and their families and their communities. And we found that um, lower income Americans, um, Americans in minority groups, either African Americans or Hispanics, were more likely than the well-off and the better educated to say, yes, we think that libraries do a great job and promoting learning in our communities or for ourselves or our families. So the groups that have the lowest incidence of personal learning have the highest rate of saying libraries do a really good job at meeting learning needs, which does then open the door uh, very clearly for libraries to uh, do the work of bridging the gap in lifelong learning that exists because they're already uh, very trusted among the groups that have the lowest incidence of lifelong learning. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and so if you are thinking about, um, you know, the relatively near future, say the next decade or so of, of lifelong learning, you know, what, what do you think or, or hope might change in, in the next 10 years or so? Well, I, I do think because we see some of these gaps in the incidence of lifelong learning among lower income Americans, less educated Americans, the data suggests that there's an opportunity to promote uh, digital skills among those groups as a means to get them more engaged in lifelong learning. So that's something that the data says is a real opportunity or a challenge going forward for the community of people interested in this, uh, trying to 
essentially stimulate demand for lifelong learning by closing some of the gaps that we see in digital skills that are more prevalent among lower income and less educated Americans. So that that's one thing that pops right to mind. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And, and I think, again, knowing that so many of our listeners are involved in associations, I think, you know, there's, I know a lot of those associations are trying to figure out how to connect with uh, the the young professionals uh, or the, the young workers in their field, and I think this idea of right kind of um, uh, starting early and helping to prepare them then to be good lifelong learners um, would would also resonate in in the association world as well. Yep, that's likely to be the case, and then also you have um, workers maybe in their 30s or early 40s today who um, may not be as digitally astute with some of these learning tools as they might want to be, um, and they'll still be in the workforce 10 years from now. So I, I think cultivating that segment might be worthwhile as well. Right. So not even not just at the beginning, but right even some of the, the older workers as well. Yep. So next to last question, um, this is one that we ask everyone here on the Leading Learning Podcast. And so I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit about your approach to developing your own talent to your own lifelong learning. Well, for myself, uh, a lot of it does take place online. So I'm one of the one third of Americans that um, do a lot of personal learning online. And this calls to mind um, some focus groups we did on this topic where we asked um, an unstructured conversation how people think of lifelong learning. And for a whole lot of people, it's um, video, going online to watch a video to learn how to address a specific problem. And I can tell you, I do that a lot. If I'm uh, A lot of what I do is data analysis here at the Pew Research Center. And if there's something I want to accomplish that I just don't know how to do, I'll um, go online and find a video to to walk me through it. Uh, And that's an example of where the internet is very important in that context for me. But the other part of the context that is important is I've been doing this kind of data analysis for a while. I have a very good existing knowledge base. So the education that I'm bringing to solving the problem makes the internet useful in this context for me. If I didn't know the first thing about data analysis, I'm not so sure (laughs) watching online videos would be the way to go. But since I know something about it, if I encounter a problem, I know how to uh, um, uh, sort of process the information that I find on the internet and separate the good from the bad. That's great. Yeah, no, I I think that um, I know I'm a big user of the internet for that sort of informal learning or very, you know, a very task focused sort of uh, learning where I, I need to know how to do X. Um, but I think your point about if you have the background and can bring a background to that, that can make that much more effective than if you are uh, a neophyte in a particular area. Yeah, I mean, I'm not much of a plumber, so I'm not going to try to deal with household plumbing problems by watching a video online. Right, call the professional there. Exactly, yeah. Um, It's so great. So the the last question just is if listeners want to know more about the Pew Research Center, um, where can they look? You can go online to www.pewresearch.org. Um, I work in the science, tech, and internet project, so there'll be a tab at the top of the page that you can click on to get to 
the report I just talked about and other reports we put out, um, not just on libraries, but on a whole variety of things related to um, science and society and, and the internet and society. All our reports are for free, so maybe uh, I buried the headline by saying, uh, by not calling attention to that in, in the first instance, but everything we do at the Pew Research Center is downloadable for free uh, on topics that I mentioned at the outset, from demographics to politics to religion to journalism to science, tech, and the internet. So uh, we have a wealth of content all available for free. It's wonderful, and they are great resources. So thank you very much for the work that you do, and thank you for taking time to talk with me today, John. Oh. Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. So that's it for our interview with John Horgan. I'll mention one more time as we're exiting here that if lifelong learning and technology are something you are interested in, and presumably if you're listening to this podcast, they are, uh, definitely check out the learning technology design event that's coming up soon. You can find out more about that at LTD dot leading learning.com we've got a great program put together some great folks attending some great folks facilitating you owe it to yourself to check it out and consider joining us for learning technology design to get show notes for this episode go to leading learning.com slash episode 34 while you're there you'll see options for subscribing to the podcast and if you aren't already a subscriber we hope you will go ahead and sign up And if you haven't already, please consider going over to iTunes to give us a brief rating and review. You can get there quickly just by going to leadinglearning.com forward slash iTunes. That'll put you in just the right place. Doesn't take but a minute or two, and it will help folks find the podcast and help us know that you appreciate what we're doing. And please tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the word that way. So thanks again for joining us on the Leading Learning Podcast, and we will see you the next time.